0: like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. This will be sort of a lengthy introduction today, so as you find your way to Proverbs chapter 1, I want to share something very interesting with you. Uh, so for the last couple of or month or so, last month or so, I've actually I've taken a break from social media, right, away from all the Controversy and hot topics and all that—it's good for the brain, you know. To decompress. Uh, As I'm taking a break, Valerie and I both, kind of in our own way, have discovered something really, really interesting about social media. Have you ever wondered why, when you open Facebook or Twitter or uh, Pinterest or if you Google something, why, like, you see the things that you do? what like what's why is it this post or this thing that's showing up on your feed versus you know hundreds of others? What's the determining factor? Well, it turns out that behind all these posts that you see aren't like humans that are controlling what you see, but robots. Uh, actually, uh, hundreds of them, and they aren't like physical robots, you know, like Terminator or whatever. They're they're algorithms controlled by artificial intelligence. So. Humans have created these artificial intelligence uh, algorithms uh, and they have made hundreds of versions of them. Uh, and these AI programs are designed to detect which posts or which websites or whatever will generate the most engagement, like the most clicks, the most viewing, that, that kind of thing, that's what they are. So, so they detect, right, what you comment on, or what you like, they even detect how long you hover over a certain post or website to show you more of that content. It's kind of crazy. And after it collects all this data, it shows you more of the same. because is what you like. It's what will generate more engagement. And here's the thing about these AI. They aren't moral. They don't have a moral compass, right? They're not. Evil or good, they're just there to show you posts no matter if they're right or wrong, or good or bad, or true or false. They're just saying, hey, I'm here to get you engagement, here's your engagement. And by nature, what are the things that engage us most? Controversy. Things that enrage us, things that we get really passionate about. And so the AI detect this, and so the more controversial stuff they show us. What this means is that one reason why there's so much division in our culture right now is because social media is just by these algorithms, just showing us more and more divisive and controversial stuff, and so we hate each other more and more and more. We. Humans, by human nature, are addicted to controversy, right? Uh, controversy triggers, like, some kind of, like, dopamine in our brains. I as mean, we become kind of addicted to it more and more and more. And the tools that we use most do that more and more often. So before long, you're down this rabbit hole. That what we believe about the world and the culture is really something that's been generated by artificial intelligence. It may not be real, but you believe it because it's what you see
1: crazy actually and so this this
0: is not the first time i've I've kind of warned about social media Uh, and it's it's such a major part of our world that you can be affected by whether you're on social media or not because chances are you're having conversations with someone who does use social media and they are in turn affected by that so we're all affected by this in some way so the whole point is that we're given all these competing images of our allies and of our enemies, and it's pulling us further and further apart. And what I see is a unique time for the church to step in and show a better way. We as the church must set ourselves apart and show there's a better way than controversy or enragement or argument. There is a better way. That doesn't mean we don't use social media, right? Social media does have its benefits and its uses. But it does mean we must have a good foundation. Mallory and I were, were talking about, you know, different schooling options, you know, for Will and right. She's only two, so that's not like the super urgent thing. But one thing that we decided was we at least want her to have a good foundation for when she goes out in the world, whatever that looks. Like. So that's, that's what we need as a church. We need a, a foundation to step into the world, sift through all this information, to ultimately lead people to Christ. Because what people need isn't another viewpoint. They don't need another opinion. They don't need more information. What people desperately need is Christ. Well, he shows them another life. we don't have a good foundation, we'll slip into it just like everybody else. As Bilbo Baggins told his nephew Frodo, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step out onto the road and if you don't keep your feet. There's no knowing where you might be swept off.
1: We need to keep
0: our feet. And that's exactly what wisdom is designed to do. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. I've got to turn your teeth. I shouldn't be turning my Look <laughs> at Proverbs chapter 1. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, flip over a few pages to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is If we are to build this foundation, if we are to truly fulfill our purpose as Christians, as the church, then we need this foundation. And the fear of the Lord is that foundation. And so we're now entering this part of the book of Proverbs, basically from chapter 10 all the way to chapter 30 or even 31. And it consists of like these randomized, short, pithy saints, right? There's really no order to them that you can detect. And, and you'll notice, right if you read Proverbs, and especially as we uh, go continue working through Proverbs, that Solomon, he just jumps from one topic to another. One topic to another. And I think he's designed it like that on purpose. Because on the one hand, um, it, it's, it's easy to remember them. Right? It's easy to remember the short little snippets, right? especially like even if they're uh, separated from each other, it's easy to remember those snippets. But also, it keeps each topic coming back again and again, so it's just fresh. It's just fresh. Because if you read this topic, you're like, hey, I've left it behind, oh, here it is again. You oh, here it is again. So I think he's done that on so in the coming weeks, we're going to treat the rest of the book of Proverbs topic, right? We'll still be in Scripture, still going to be preaching from Proverbs, but we can't be like in one place. We're going to be all over Proverbs. And what's interesting about these verses that we just read about the fear of the Lord is that Solomon hasn't elaborated on that concept that much. Okay, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? hasn't pulled us a whole lot, but thankfully he does throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs. And I think that we can discern three elements from the book of Proverbs that make up the fear of the Lord. And so, the first is hatred of sin. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of sin. So we learn this from places like Proverbs 8.13 certainly feel free to turn your Bibles there with me. We're kind of going to be all over the place. You certainly don't have to, but we you learn this, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Now, here's what's awesome about Proverbs. Many of them that we read are what I'm calling generally true statements. That means that They aren't, or many of them, many of them aren't absolutely true, and they aren't promises, but they are generally true, though not always. However, many of them are absolutely true, especially the Proverbs that involve the nature and the character of God. So while the Proverbs about getting rich you know, because of righteousness might not always come true, the Proverbs about who God is are always true. And that's no less true than hatred of And scattered throughout... Uh, this book, our Proverbs specifically about what God hates, right? So uh, the NIV says, the Lord detests, Uh, the ESV says, uh, this is an abomination to the Lord. So so we have these scattered Proverbs about what God hates. And the first that you come across is a hatred of partiality. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11. It's kind of the first time this abomination, this hate uh, kind of comes out. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight.
1: So what's happening in this
0: day is kind of two different things. The first thing is that, uh, maybe not in every situation, but in a lot of cases, when you pay with money, you're not paying with the the, color or the material of the money, right? So it's not like this. Copper one is one, and the silver one is two, right? No, now, a lot of times you, you weigh money, right? So, this is, this is going to be a certain amount, a weight of money that you're paying. But also, right, they would have merchants, especially, that have these rocks, And um, they weren't totally accurate, right? Uh, all the time, in fact, they're not often that you find. Like competing rocks that are the same weight, but they would have generally the weight mark on them. And so, if you want to buy a certain amount of something, they would put these rocks on the scale. Like, you want an ounce of this, so here's my ounce rock. You put your ounce rock on there, and here's your hay. You're paid for an ounce, or whatever you're buying. So, you can see how people could easily fudge the numbers by lying about the weight of these rocks. Or, and, or like they sell less of something, right? So if you want an ounce, well here's my ounce rock, but it's actually, you know, it, it weighs more and, and so you're not getting as much pay, or maybe like you're, you're asking for something more than it's worth based on these measurements. And so it really, it does come down a lot to the integrity of the buyer. And so when Proverbs writes this, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, the first thing right, that comes to our mind is obviously business. Uh, selling and trading, that kind of thing. So, whether you run a business or sell something, whatever, we need to be honest about our work and what it's worth. We're not trying to twist words or, or numbers to siphon just extra money. A few weeks ago, I mentioned I am an old man in a 30-year-old body. And that comes out especially when i look at looking at my bills. Because I always see something about like a service fee. Or a processing fee. And I'm like, what is that? They should just call it taking just a little bit extra (laughs) fee. But whether you're in business or not, the underlying principle here is one of partiality. Impartiality happens in a number of ways beyond just business. Partiality happens when we give ourselves or others like a free pass or a benefit that we're unwilling to give to others. So, maybe one that we practice more often than we realize is, is we're quicker to forgive ourselves for mistakes and failures than we are with others. We, we know we need mercy. Uh, another way we show partiality is when, like, we're very eager to offer a listening ear to people we agree with, but people we disagree with, we, we pass judgment on without even listening to them. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about social media as if it's the devil. I'm not that kind of person. It has its problems. But obviously, one of the problems we have on social media that I just talked about is that we end up listening more and more and more to the people we agree with who are in our tribe, and less and less and less, maybe to another side or another party. And so that's why the Bible has to tell us explicitly to do the opposite. It has to lay it out for us. My brothers, James 2, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry. And he means that for no matter who we come into contact with. Like there's not a person that you come into contact with that is undeserving of this. And who are we to this? I don't know if they deserve to be. You know what I mean? Like that's, that would be, just crazy. We'll do it anyway. In fact, what's interesting about this issue of partiality is that as we go through this, we'll see this is an abomination of the Lord, this is an abomination of the Lord. They're all different, but Solomon mentions this two more times. And then the last two times, he mentions abomination. So it kind of it makes this book in And so so it's it's that Solomon is driving this point home that God hates different ways, these inconsistent and unfair standards. But actually, if we look, if you think about it, the other ones that we'll look at kind of all under this, this partiality that we show ourselves or others, so we must we must hate the way our flesh craves this kind of partiality, self reinforcing way of living. So fear of the Lord is is hatred of uh, partiality. The fear of the Lord is also hatred of hypocrisy. Uh, Look at Proverbs chapter eleven verse twenty. Those of crooked hearts are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are His delight. So, here's the great thing about reading Psalms and Proverbs, it's really important, is we need to think in terms of parallels. Because guess what? Each line of these is basically two lines, or two sentences, or, or two phrases. So if one like, doesn't make sense or it's plainly obvious, usually the next one will come in and make it an even more profound statement. Uh, so sometimes like, parallel is comparing two things, sometimes it's contrasting two things. In either case, the right, idea yeah, is that you read the lines together. And in this one, the two lines are right, crooked heart and blameless ways, right, crooked heart, a nation, blameless place where a lot. That's, that's the, the juxtaposition that's happening here. And, you know, if you think about Scripture, right, if you think with me for a moment, there's not a lot of places where the heart of a person and the way they live are, are, like, separated. Right? They're usually one and the same. But what did we learn from, uh, this Proverbs 4. Out of the, oh, the wellsprings of life, right, come from the heart. That's what we learned in Proverbs 4. Wellsprings springs of life is... Live. So there's not a lot of separation there, but Solomon kind of takes them apart here. And I think it's because he wants us to pause and ask why. It's easier, I think, the reason he does this, the crooked art of abomination, blameless ways of life, is because it's easier to hide a crooked heart. The person of blameless ways doesn't have to hide their heart because they aim to be consistent with themselves and before others and before God. So here Solomon has to put it squarely on the heart. So fear of the Lord is hatred of hypocrisy. Uh, fear of the Lord is also hatred of using words, dishonestly. Proverbs 12, verse 22. It's the page or two over, depending on how big your text is. Made a joke. How big your text is? If, if you have really big text, you're in the adult class. Small text, you in the adult class. It was fun. To check I've been there. Uh, verse chapter twelve, verse twenty-two. Lying lists are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are His delight. In our study in James on Sunday nights, we learn how the Bible, when it says. Using the tongue wisely, it just doesn't have in mind the words we use and how we use them and how we use our ears, too. So the world of the tongue incorporates our listening. So, the hatred or the fear of the Lord is hatred of using words uh, dishonestly and twisting others' words or, or, or trying to make ourselves look better by twisting our words. I know I'm going quickly, but we have a bit of ground to cover, so the fear of the Lord is also hatred of empty religion. Proverbs 15, verses 8 and 9. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Right? Empty religion, is is when we use religion, Christianity or whatever, to get what what we want. Right? To, to serve ourselves. So so empty religion looks a lot like me centered or, or man centered versus God centered. And so the fear of the Lord is, is hatred of using empty religion. Fear of the Lord is hatred of sin. But secondly, second point today, the fear of the Lord is banking on His blessing. Proverbs chapter 10, we see this. Chapter 10, verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness but do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. And then verse 3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but He forced the craving of the wicked. Now, in places like this, there's a helpful distinguishing factor that will help. It's distinguishing between the nature of God and the works of God. Now, God's nature stays the same no matter what, but his works change. How he operates changes. It flows from his nature, but it changes depending on context. So, uh, like we just read in chapter for verse 3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he the Lord's the bread enough with you. wicked. That seems like a great promise. Man, if I just live righteously, I'm not going to go hungry. That's awesome. much dominoes as I want? Or consider later on in chapter 10, verse 22, the blessing of the Lord is blessing makes room. danger here, right, is what's called the prosperity gospel. And it's taking stuff like this and basically saying, congratulations, God wants you to be fat and rich. Uh, And the people who preach this or the people who believe this believe that God's primary concern is is with our, our wealth or our possessions or our prosperity to make us happy. That's his, his primary concern. And, and based on these verses, like if you just take these verses out, that might seem true. Right? You tend to believe that. But guess where the book of Proverbs is? It's in the Old Testament. And that means something. Where, that's why in Sunday school I often ask, where is this? Because we need, that's what we need in our minds. Where this is and when it's happening. So it's in the Old Testament, and Solomon is writing this under the Mosaic Covenant. Later today, like right before you take your nap, flip over to Deuteronomy 28, and what you'll see is explicit blessings for obedience and explicit curses for disobedience. These are the stipulations of the covenant. Obey, these are your blessings. Disobey, these are your curses. So, I would absolutely say Solomon means what he says, when that was explicitly part of the covenant that they had with God. So when we read things like this, we need to ask the question, is this uniquely an Old Testament promise? You'll find some of the worst, I mean, pit of like, dumb fitness advice on the internet, you know, or social media or whatever. Or social media. You can like do these seven exercises in under ten minutes, and in seven days, you're going to look like this. Easy peasy. But what they don't mention is, hey, that's just dumb. Uh, but also, that doesn't work for everybody and every person. It's entirely situational. And so, we love, right, we love verses like 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That promise is situational. That's, that's not about us, it's about Israel. Because that's a part of God's... Promise to Israel for a coming and you obey. just do this, I'll gladly fulfill the obligations of blessing. What we need to realize is that the blessings that are for to come or the curses that were to come were placed squarely on the shoulders of the people.
1: Whether you are blessed or whether you are cursed depends
0: on your obedience or your disobedience. You follow? That's the stipulation of the covenant. You obey, it's your responsibility. You want blessings, it's your responsibility. You want curses, that's your responsibility. But guess what? They weren't able to fulfill the obligation of the blessings, but only what? The obligation of the curses. So when Christ came, He alone fulfilled its obligations. He not only fulfilled the blessings, but he fulfilled the curses too. Christ fulfills every part of the old covenant, so now, guess what? He has introduced a new covenant, and the blessing and outcome of the new covenant is placed on whose shoulders? Ours? No, on Christ's. The blessings and outcome of the new covenant isn't dependent on us anymore, it's dependent on Christ. And so, because we're under this new covenant, not only are the blessings different, but they're better. We don't get some measly strip of land. We get a new creation. We don't just get long years and long happy life. We get eternal life. So, when we read the promise of blessing in the Old Testament, we need to read those through the lens of Christ who came and transforms those blessings. So where it says the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, when we read that, even if we do go hungry, we are still immeasurably blessed because of Christ. Paul says that through this new blessing, what? No trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, hunger, right? Or danger, or sore, will what? Separate you from the Lord. going back to the start. God's nature is the same, but His works are now different. And what we bank on is His blessing, His determined nature to care for us, sustain us, nurture us, and remain faithful to us in Christ. That's what it means to bank on His blessing, and that is certainly part of the Finally, the fear of the Lord is trust from humility. Trust from humility. The key to living in wisdom starts with humility. Proverbs 18 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. He Begin to think highly of yourself. When I was first surrendered in the ministry, I was as proud as it gets. And I thought because I'm only in the ministry, like, like God's going to use me and I can do what I want. I was proud. And later came my downfall. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but, but Humility comes before honor. Humility is this posture of rightly evaluating yourself and rightly evaluating God. Look at, you don't have to turn here, all the way back in Proverbs 29. Listen to how Proverbs 29, verse 5, it, it, it contrasts, juxtaposes fear and trust. I'm oh, sorry, 29, 29, The fear of man lays a snare, but it is from, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So it's contrasting the fear of man trust in the Lord. What we fear is what we will trust. When we fear man, we place too high of a value on what they think or their opinion. So we over-trust, so to speak, uh, in their judgment or evaluation of, of us. And, and when we do this, when we allow the fear of man to control us, we become enslaved. Right? King Herod had and fame, everything that humans want, but what happens, right, he didn't want to kill the John the Baptist, but what, because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not refuse. he had everything he could want, but not freedom, he was a slave because of his fear of man. And when we do this, why this is so important is, is not not that this is something that's just like a few people uh, struggle with. When we do this, we get worship exactly backwards. Man becomes the focus of our attention rather than God. So using the Lord of the Rings reference, Frodo at the foot of Mount Doom, right? Sauron is searching for him. Frodo has the One Ring. And and what Aragorn, the last king of man, what does he do? He he creates a diversion, distract Sauron from seeing Frodo. And and Sauron becomes so fixed on killing the last king of man that Frodo is able to go and destroy the ring. And and Sauron's mistake is is overlooking the thing that is actually most precious. And because of that, he was destroyed. We think this is how success happens. How we live and survive as humans, seeking the approval of man. But in God's economy, it's exactly backwards. Again, in Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him love, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. I love the Psalms. Psalms are awesome. A good, an awesome practice that I actually, uh, Charles Burton used to do is to read five psalms a day during them up, And one problem. you should do it. It's awesome. And Psalm 147 is awesome. It's, it's, it's the psalm of seeing how great, and how awesome, and how magnificent God is. Now listen, listen to what he says. He determines the number of the stars. He calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty power. His understanding has no limit. Who has access to this government? If he is so powerful, can only the powerful get to him? The very next verse. This God, this Lord, sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. The all-powerful God is not a God for the powerful, but for weak. And if weakness is all you need to access him, how available is he? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean down on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make you Hear the Lord's distrust from humanity. One of my favorite hymns, <coughs> quoted some of it in Sunday school, says this Come be weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry, if you wait till you're better, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness that he requireth is to feel your need of him. Fear of the Lord starts with the recognition of how desperately you need him. Your morals will not save you. Going to church will not save you. Righteous deeds, good deeds, will not save you. Money, will not save you. Being pretty sure, will not save you. You desperately need this God. And that is where the fear of the Lord begins. with this recognition of your utter, desperate, ongoing, constant, deep And it's from there, from that posture, the fear of the Lord and the foundation of wisdom begins. Only Christ can save you. And the only fitness that he asks of you is just to see your There's not a piece of information that we need. There's not a thing that we should improve. Not a deed that we should add. Not even a sin that we can repent of that will save us. Lord Jesus, nothing can save us but only you, by your great mercy, by your grace to desperate, sick sinners, and Lord Jesus, I pray this not only for those who aren't in you, who don't know you, who have not re- truly repented and placed their trust in you, but for us who, who try to follow you day by day, who have repented, who have placed their trust in you. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to see this and feel this every day of our lives. May we never forget the place of desperation and neediness that we would always, always depend on you your. Or especially, especially so that we can show the world the joys and securities and blessings and righteousness of the fear of the Lord. Whereas as we once did, the world needs a better way. Help us, Lord, to embody this, to show the loss in the world a better way these things you're like yeah. and